Goat. 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 Well, if I didn't have goats, I couldn't make my soaps and wouldn't have Anashira to sponsor these podcasts. But they do require husbandry. I told you last time how I'd put them through a dose of ivermectin on advice of my vet. Well, he told me to put them on a regimen of red cell. It's a medication made for horses. I was to reduce the dosage by weight and give it to them once a day, orally. So, I go down with my syringe, and after they'd eaten dinner, I forced open their mouths and squirted the medicine on the backs of their throats. This went on for five days, once a day. Then I reduced it to once a week, which they're on now. Then monthly. It's to treat their anemia, and it seems to be working. They're both happier, with more energy, and they have great appetite. I took stool samples once again to the diagnostic lab just before Thanksgiving, and the results came back negative for both animals. Yippee! Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, owner of Anashira. It's hard to believe that Christmas will be here in three weeks. Those of you who've been to our website and bought soaps there are registered for our monthly newsletter and should have received your first copy. If you have not signed up yet, go to anashira.com and sign up. We'll send out an email on a monthly basis with updates on Mama and Razzy, special offers, news of our products, photos, uh, things you want to know. The people at Anashira insist that I tell you this. So, there you go. I'm heading down to feed those goats right now and give them an extra ration of hay. When I get back, I'll jump right into this week's story from Anashira. I have spoken to you on several occasions about how I worked in the car rental business for Hertz and National and other organizations. In the final years of my career, I worked for a large organization that ran multiple companies. Dawn and I lived in Fort Lauderdale. It's funny, as a young man, I loved South Florida. I loved Miami and the Keys. I passed through frequently on vacation. I love the ocean, the climate, the food, fresh seafood, Cuban cooking. I enjoyed the mix of Cubans, other Latinos, and the Floridians. But it was not crazy in those days. When we moved to Fort Lauderdale years later, the zaniness seemed to have been replaced with a frenetic energy and lots of anger. Many people from the Northeast had moved down. And it seemed like half of the people on the highways were high on drugs and angry. But we enjoyed much of our life there. We played tennis, continued riding our bikes, played a lot of golf. Dawn and I would get up at 5 o'clock and go for a ride in the mornings along the intercoastal highway. We had bright headlights and taillights. And there weren't many people out and about at this time of day. 
These were not social rides or sightseeing jaunts. I put the pedal to the metal, and we pounded along the road as if we were training for some race. You know, Don didn't ride a bicycle hard until we started going out. We took a few rides together, and she started to like it. She bought a new road bike, what many call a racing bike, and then outgrew it, that is, got better than the bike, and bought a titanium frame, one built for speed. So we'd ride early on weekdays, and on the weekends, later in the mornings. We rode a century ride, 100 miles, with a friend whom I work with. Neil was a soccer player, an excellent athlete, and the three of us spent almost five and a half hours riding around back roads of Central Florida one Saturday with alligators and snakes and about a thousand other people in 90-degree weather and high humidity. Don and Neil did really well, although neither of them asked to do another century ride after that. There was a place Don and I would stop at after our rides, a couple of miles from our home. It was a European-type cafe with good coffee and excellent croissant and other pastries. We're sitting outside in the shade one day. The breeze is blowing off the ocean. We can hear it in the palm fronds. The endorphins have kicked in, and we're both feeling good, drinking strong coffee. I say to Don, would you like to go to France and watch the Tour de France? I'd love to go to France and watch the tour. Are you serious? How about this? I found a tour going that will take us along the route of the Tour de France. We can ride the part of the route of the race a day before the event, then watch the actual race in the afternoons. How's that sound? I'd love to go to France and watch the race, but I don't want to ride. I'm not good enough, not strong enough. So I paid for this tour that I'd come across. We'd follow the last seven days of the race. I said, we can ride some of the stages, no big mountains. We can increase our training. You'll do fine. Dawn wasn't at all convinced about riding the same course as a race, but she and I amped up our training rides. There were no mountains within hundreds of miles of us, not even any hills. There were a few bridges around, fairly long and steep. They were over the intercoastal waterway, and there was one over the Biscayne Bay in Miami that we especially liked, so we'd ride repeats of these bridges up and down. All the while, Don would insist, I'm not climbing any mountains in France. I'm just not strong enough. I'd just say something like, well, we'll see, or we can worry about that later, and we continued riding pretty hard. I got that week in France approved as vacation, and we were set, or so I thought. Unfortunately, the syndicate I worked for wasn't capable of running a single rent-a-car company, much less multiple brands. I was in the unenviable position of having the role of president and responsibility for the results of one of the brands, but I had no authority to make the changes required to be profitable. That was held by a CEO and the board of directors. The whole company bled red. And as we approached that summer, my boss let it be known that all vacations of senior management were canceled. Anyone who insisted on time off for the rest of the year would be considered disloyal. What could I do? 
I told Don our trip to France was off. I tried to get a refund from that tour company, but they refused. I felt terrible. It was about a year later that that organization and I parted ways. The following summer, I decided that I would take an extended sabbatical, and Don and I got rid of almost all of our belongings and bought an Airstream travel trailer, sold our house. Two weeks before Christmas, we left for what I had told Don would be a six-month trip. Yeah, that six months turned into a much longer time. We took our bikes and rode regularly along the way. We took our tennis rackets and played whenever we could, so we stayed in pretty decent physical shape. About three months later, we were in Big Bend National Park in Texas at the Cottonwood Campground. We were doing what they called dry camping. The site had no running water, electricity, or sewer hookups. It may sound primitive, but it was only rustic for us. We had a refrigerator, stove, oven, and water heater powered by propane. We had two tanks. We had a large tank of fresh water and gray and black water sewage tanks. We had a large battery that powered our halogen lights, sound system, and water pump, which gave us water for the toilet, shower, and the sinks. We cooked much of our food over a campfire outside. Life was simple, and we could live there easily for a week at a time before we had to refill our water tanks and recharge the battery. We were sitting by that campfire one night, listening to the calls of the great horned owl. It was a pair calling to each other, a fine duet. We could look up and see what seemed to be an infinity of stars. I said, hey, Dawn, remember that trip to France that I had to cancel? Yeah, I sure do. Well, why don't we go this year? We can watch Lance ride. That'd be great. But I'm not riding any mountains. Well, let's see what I can find. We left Big Bend and a week or so later we're in Tucson. I got online and started looking up Tour de France tour companies. I found one that had what they called first-class accommodations. Four-star hotels, excellent restaurants, it followed the last seven days of the tour into Paris. We were eating dinner that night at a little Mexican restaurant that I had discovered years before when I was there researching jojoba plants with Rigoberto. He had said to me, Ernesto, if you go into a Mexican restaurant in this country and it is filled with Mexican people, you can believe that the food is authentic and delicious. Well, the food was still excellent. As we were eating, I said, Hey, Dawn, I've been thinking. She looked up and stared at me intently. She knew when I said I'd been thinking that something consequential could be coming. Yes? What have you been thinking about? Well, I found a tour group in France that seems excellent. We could follow the last days of the Tour de France in the Alps and watch the final stage on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. Yeah, it sounds really good. But why fly all the way over there just to stay a week? The real cost is the flight over and back. Why don't we find some place to rent, a home or apartment, in some pretty town? We could go over there a few weeks early, take our bikes, and train on those beautiful French roads. 
You think you can find some place nice that doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Well, I'll work on it. So I sat on the computer and looked. It was easier said than done. I looked in the towns around Lyon, Grenoble, Chambéry, Albertville. Just couldn't find the right thing. I moved my search west and south. Ah, Avignon. The one-time home of the Popes. That looked promising. I came across a house for rent in a town called Villeneuve-les-Avignons, a town that was built in the 6th century across the Rhone River from Avignon that was a resort of the French cardinals during the sojourn of the popes. So the Tour de France always lasts three weeks and begins on the first Saturday in July, except in Olympic years. I figured if we got to France before the start of the tour, we could train every day for three weeks, then join the tour for the last seven days of the race. I wrote an email to the owner of this house asking for details, availability, price, and surprise of surprises, it was available. The price was acceptable, and it seemed to be in a great location. The owner turned out to be an American guy, well, with dual citizenship, a man who spent part of his time in New York running the New York Avignon Film Festival and the rest of the year running the Avignon Film Festival. He wrote that the house had an office, bathroom, and an extra bedroom in the lower floor. Would we mind if he stayed there a few nights if he was in town? Seemed fine to me. I sat down with Dawn and we went over our options. She was as excited as I was. I'd love to go to Provence. I can't wait to ride bicycles in the south of France in the summer. I can't wait to see the fields of sunflowers and lavender. But I don't want to climb any mountains in the Alps. Well, we'll see how you feel when we get over there. So we continued riding our bikes as we traveled to California, along the Pacific Ocean, through Oregon, Wyoming, and on to Minneapolis. We bought our airline tickets and prepared our luggage. We'd fly from Minneapolis to Lyon. So each packed a big suitcase and got two bicycle cases. You may not be aware, but a bicycle case is a big, awkward piece of luggage. But there was no way we were going to rent bikes over there. It was necessary to take our own finely calibrated machines if we were going to ride hundreds of miles on all sorts of varying terrains, including mountain passes. So Dawn's sister drives us to the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport one day at the end of June, and we board our flight to Lyon. We're very excited. Neither of us slept much on the flight. So we get in, claim our bulky bags, and find our way to the shuttle to the main train station, Lyon Pardieu, 20 miles away. We plan on taking the TGV, that's a train à grande vitesse, high-speed train, to downtown Avignon. We got to Pardieu and have an hour or so wait. Of course, coffee and baguette with cheese and sausage. Now, when they say high speed, they mean it. This bullet-shaped train travels at speeds of about 320 kilometers an hour. And that's 200 miles an hour on this route. And the stops for loading and unloading passengers are just about that fast. I say to Don, 
Here's our strategy. You jump on the train. I'll toss our four pieces of luggage up to you and then jump on myself. It sounds easy, but imagine there are about 15 people with luggage fighting to get through that same small passageway. This train was on its way from Paris. We'd have only a few minutes to get everything in and get settled. So, we're in position. The train screams past us and stops. Don hops aboard and the rest of us start to throw stuff in the train. Suitcase, suitcase, big bicycle case. I grab a big bicycle case. I'm jostling with a bunch of Frenchmen. I'm not making any friends doing this. I finally get myself on board just as the doors slide shut. I find that all the baggage is crammed into this small space and has to be moved. We have to haul it up a set of stairs to the luggage area. So I get the first bag up and we're accelerating quickly to top speed. I see the racks are full. It's summertime and the French are heading on their vacations early. I cram in our bags the best I can. There is very little room to walk past. The aisle wasn't that big to begin with. We find our seats, sit down, breathe a sigh of relief. The worst is over, almost there, I say. Well, not quite. You know how they say the French are rude? Well, I don't find the French rude. I find most of them polite and cordial, especially if you speak to them in French, even if your French isn't especially good. They're correct. The great exception is train conductors. We were sitting there peacefully when a very angry conductor comes marching down the aisle asking if those are our bags blocking the passageway. Bags like that are not allowed on the TGV. It's unthinkable, he sputters. But I had been concerned about the size of our bicycle cases before we left the States. I'd contacted the company and found out that there was a limit on suitcases. None allowed longer than 85 centimeters. I had also found out that bikes were allowed. Luckily, I had an official letter in French from them stating this. I pulled out this letter and showed it to the red-faced conductor. I had highlighted the section stating that we were allowed to remove the wheels from the bikes and pack them in a carrying bag with the frame. He read it, made several disparaging comments. I didn't understand much of it. He read it again, then exploded with the phrase that I understood perfectly. C'est pas un train de fret. This is not a freight train. Everyone in the car had quieted and was staring at the two of us, wondering who would throw the first punch. He demanded I follow him out to the small luggage area. He asked me how I expected his passengers to get by. I showed him how we could move a few things around this way, that way, put this up there. Hey, people can pass through. And I insisted that he return the letter to me. I figured I'd need it again on our several trips. He marched out to our car muttering to himself. I heard parts of phrases like, Les Américains and I made it to my seat. Don looked over. You're alive? Most everybody here thought you'd be tossed off with the bicycles. 
When we got to the Avignon TGV station, the process was the opposite. Dawn jumped off and I wrestled the cases down, tossed them out to her. It was hot, abnormally hot. 100 degrees, which is impossible for France. And the people just disappeared. We were last off the platform and out of the station. No one, not a person, not a taxi. So how do we get out of here? I'll be back. I walked down to the street about 50 yards down. It was midday, lunchtime. Finally, a taxi drove by on the road. I waved. He stopped. The driver told me he was off duty. I pleaded with him to help us out, to take us to Villeneuve. We've been up for 36 hours, I told him. And there are only two of us. So he agreed, and we drove up to the station. When he saw all those bags, I think he regretted it. It was an old Renault 20 hatchback. So he crammed the suitcases in the very back. The bicycles and I were shoved in the back seat, my head sticking out the window, and Don sat regally in the front. This driver talked the whole way. Oh, he knew the street Monte de la Tour. It was a street of the famous tour of Philippe le Bel. That was Philip the Fourth, Philip the Beautiful, or Philip the Fair, from early in the 15th century. This tower was right up from our house. We drove out of Avignon over the Rhone River and up a hill to the tour. It was visible for miles. Down the Monte and the driver pulled up to a house behind a wall. We thanked him profusely and I pulled out all our bags. About this time I was thinking, why in the devil would we bring so much stuff? I went up to the gate at the driveway, locked, walked over to the gate to a path that led up to the house, also locked. No bell, no intercom, no sign of living creatures. I called out several times, Allo, allo, no response. So what do we do, asked Don. I guess I'll climb over the fence and see what's over there. I started to climb up the gate and I saw a woman coming down the walk. I looked, ah, she had a key in her hand. She opened the lock in the gate. Hello, she said in English. I am Sylvie, Jerry's assistant. Jerry wanted to meet you, but he had to leave for Paris. Come, I'll show you around. Nice lady, young lady. It was a nice place. Front garden with flowers and bushes, a huge bay laurel bush, and a fig tree loaded with fruit, guarded its steps that led up to the front door. A hallway with a 12-foot ceiling led to an office on the left, a library, a living room area on the right, further to a kitchen on the right, and a bedroom on the left. Out in the back was a large garden with tomato bushes and other vegetables. Lots of tomatoes, red tomatoes. Sylvie explained to us as she showed us the plants, you're welcome to all the produce you like, but be careful with the water. Jerry has a drip irrigation system that does not need to be used every day. He says water is very expensive in France. He's fixated on this. Oh, that was fine. 
But what I really wanted to know was, how do I get to the local bars and cafes? Just go up this road, past the park. You'll follow it past a church. You'll hit a small square. There'll be several cafes and bars there. So off we went. I can't tell you the number of times I walked up and down Opital Street, Hospital Street, to the Place St. Mark. Up and down it in the time we were there. I can't believe it. The Tour de France hasn't even begun, and I have to leave you. Well, I will continue this story soon. Do you ever feel itchy in the wintertime? Feel like this, your skin is dry and you just can't put enough lotion on it? Well, you're probably like most people in the good old U.S. of A. Our skin dries out in cold weather. Well, take a tip from the folks at Anashira. Try bathing regularly with fine goat milk soap, designed and handcrafted by Ernie Johnson. With ingredients such as pure olive oil, shea butter, cocoa butter, macadamia nut oil, coconut oil, and many other fine ingredients, you'll find a clear difference in the way your skin feels. Go to anashira.com and take advantage of discount code FALLSTORIES17 for a 17% discount. Only available to you listeners of these podcasts. That's FALLSTORIES17 altogether. And while you're on our website, sign up for our monthly newsletter. You'll receive special discounts, photos, and updates on Mama and Razzie. Okay, folks, you know, I do realize that last time I left you sitting in that cafe in Palma de Mallorca, drinking coffee and eating tostadas con tomate. Sorry about that. We'll go back there soon enough. But first, I need to tell you of our life in Villeneuve and our experiences following the Tour de France in my next episode of Stories from Anashira. <laughs>